Hello everyone, welcome today and thanks for joining us on the 10% podcast. Today I have Tarun Gupta who's an investor at Jump Capital. Today we'll be talking a lot about the fintech industry and the fundraising environment. Without further ado, Tarun, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks Jason for having me. you're all about what's your interests, your hobbies and we'll go from there yeah so i was born and raised in new york um spent a bunch of time there before moving to boston where i went to high school then made my way to the midwest went to michigan undergrad uh business school studying finance entrepreneurship marketing and then jumped into investment banking post-college as a lot of business school students do when they don't know exactly what they want to get into um, so interesting experience uh, for a couple of years there, M&A sell-side advisory work helped, I think, really build a good foundational skill set that I was able to translate into other jobs. And so then I moved into a very unique industry in casino games and sports betting, joined a company called Scientific Games, on their corporate development team, helping them make acquisitions across a bunch of different verticals in casino games, lottery, sports betting, uh, you name it. Pretty, pretty unique cast of characters that operate there. Uh, really, really interesting business to be a part of and help them make eight, eight acquisitions over the four years that I was there. Enjoyed my time there quite a bit, um, but then sort of got the itch to go earlier stage from a venture standpoint and very fortunate that things worked out with the Jump Capital Group. And so I've been with them for a little over three years now. Uh, Jump, just from a background standpoint, uh, is a Series A focused venture investor headquartered out in Chicago. The fund has been around for 11 years. Uh, we're investing out of Fund 7, which we closed in Fall of 21, which is a $350 million vehicle. And the way that I think of our areas of focus is 50% of what we do is fintech financial services related, which is where I sit and help lead up our investing practice over there. And the other 50% is more general enterprise vertical software. Um, and we take a lot of pride on one being very thesis driven. So we go deep into the areas of focus and are proactive in how we go find source and talk to entrepreneurs. And we also are very sort of proud of our ability to work very hands-on with the companies that we partner with. And so most of our team has worked within businesses before, and, and we work closely with those entrepreneurs across hiring, go-to-market support, you name it, um, post-investment. So at Jump Capital, Jump Capital, like you said, invested in several fintech companies. Like, What do you look for when evaluating fintech startups? And what do you think are the most important qualities that make a successful fintech company? Uh, I think some of it is general across startups in any industry. And then I can get into some of the more fintech specific ones. And the general ones... I apologize in advance for all the cliches that are coming out here. I'm working on finding a better way to describe some of this that isn't, um, you know, super cliched, but we spend a lot of time working with the founders of these businesses, right? Like all venture investors do. I think one of the things that stands out to me is a lot of people talk about the value of the team, the value of founders, but they haven't built like solid rubrics for how to evaluate the strength of founders. And for us, there are a couple of different things that we look for. And again, none of this is super unique, um, but we, one, very much are looking for how well do they fit in the industry that they're trying to build a solution for? Do they have that unique founder market fit of they've either operated in this industry before and see the pain points and can build solutions to address those pain points? Or even if they haven't worked in that industry before, do they have some tangential experience or exposure that gives them insight into building a new business here? That's sort of the first thing. The second thing is thinking about 
how they attract talent around them. Yes, you can back a founder and a business can be built off of one person, but it really does take a team to scale it meaningfully. And we look for founders who are, one, open to bringing in people who are, quote unquote, smarter than them in other areas where they might not have uh, as much of a strength. And two, individuals who have the ability to actually attract talent. People want to work for these individuals. They are just, you know, enthusiastic about being around them. And so that's another thing that we really look for is how they bring on additional individuals around them. So that's sort of the founder side of things. For us at the stage that we invest at Series A, the metrics vary based on the type of business, but we're typically looking for businesses that are around a million in revenue run rate, ARR. And so that's like sort of the first threshold that they've achieved some level of product market fit. The way that I like to think about it personally is that they've shown that one specific customer segment that they're going after They have a handful of customers there, and it's very clear that there is meaningful appetite from that segment of the customer base, and they are ready to meaningfully adopt this startup solution at a fairly rapid pace. The next thing that I like to look for is that they have additional customer segments that they maybe haven't really like tapped into meaningfully yet. Maybe they only have one customer there, but I can see how their like addressable market can expand from this like core customer set to additional customer sets, and that helps me believe the path of how they could become a really, really large business. And so in fintech specifically, there are a couple of different things we look at. We look at one, is your revenue model truly recurring versus transactional based? It's okay if it's one versus the other, it's just understanding the unique dynamics of each. To two, understanding what type of customer base you're uh, selling into. Are you selling into banks? That's great, your contract sizes are larger, but your sales cycles are probably gonna be pretty tough. So how do we sort of just like balance that versus selling into fintechs, probably shorter sales cycle, smaller contracts, how do we balance that? And so on and so forth. I like that insight. That's pretty, that's very, very interesting. I like the way that you approach it because it's usually different, a little bit different. I think that would be your competitive edge compared to other VC firms. And now what's very interesting, I want to ask you is what do you think are some of the most exciting trends in the fintech space right now? And what do you think will be the next big thing in the industry? Out of curiosity. Yeah, so I'll highlight a couple of areas that we are spending time in where we think meaningful um, change is happening. So one is around the compliance sector within fintech. Um, And so there are a couple of different ways to slice this. But if you read about what's going on in the ecosystem, there's been a lot of pressure on the partner bank fintech model. And there's been scrutiny from the OCC and a bunch of other parties and a bunch of partner banks have run into some issues. And so we think that that industry is pretty ripe for better compliance tooling to help manage that relationship, provide better oversight, and ensure that partner banks are onboarding fintech companies in a more stringent, uh, regimented manner. So that's one segment of the compliance realm. Uh, Another segment of the compliance realm is just how faster money movement changes how you have to think about fraud. And so there's been a lot out in the news about Zelle, stuff like that, right? And just like faster money movement, they're having trouble keeping fraud at bay and consumers are sort of getting hit um, with scams at an unprecedented rate. And if we think about one, just peer-to-peer money movement, but also if Fed now goes live on the timeline that is outlined and there are this, there's this new payment rail that facilitates real-time money movement, what are the implications of that from a fraud standpoint and how will financial institutions, fintechs deal with that as money moves instantaneously? So that's like one component that we're looking at. Uh, another is around sort of the debt and credit ecosystem. And so we're in the very early innings, right, of a meaningful ramp in consumer 
credit card usage and spend. And all the data is showing that this is getting to pretty unprecedented levels. But consumer delinquency and defaults on credit cards, auto loans, stuff like that is still at pretty low levels compared to historical levels. We think we're in the early innings of a meaningful uptick as it relates to that. And so there are a couple of different ways you can address that problem. One is providing consumers directly with better tools to help them manage their finances. That in theory is interesting. It's been very tough historically for fintechs and you know PFM tools to actually gain meaningful adoption and find a way to make customer acquisition work and to get individuals to buy in and utilize that tooling meaningfully. So what we're actually more interested in is solutions that serve um, the fintechs and FIs that are actually like lending money, help them better understand the consumers that they're lending money to, help them get in front of potential delinquencies by providing payment plans or other sort of like uh, structured um, products to help those individuals uh, before they get to a you know tough situa- situation. And then also looking at better collection tooling so that if a consumer actually does fall back and they have to charge off that debt, how can the FI better collect on that payment um, and make it a more humane process than what it is today? Because today it's pretty ridiculous, the types of phone calls that individuals get from collections agencies to try and pick up that debt. So that's another area that we're spending time in. That's very hyper-focused. And now moving into the fundraising environment, right? How has the fundraising environment changed in the past year? And I, I want you to really go down and in, into detail with this question, and especially also in the fintech industry. What do you think are the main challenges that startups face in raising capital right now? Yeah, so a lot has changed in the past year or two. Um, fundraising was at crazy levels in 2021 and even the first half of 2022. And I think it was brought across a bunch of different industries, but FinTech was one of the darlings of sort of that COVID era or COVID couple of years. And that has changed pretty dramatically um, over the past like year and a half. And so FinTech funding itself has been down quite a bit. And I think one of the reasons is back in 2021, a lot of fintech businesses that either were purely like customer acquisition businesses, like they basically were just front end businesses acquiring customers with no other competitive point of differentiation, or they were effectively financial services businesses with a digital twist, but not really like true software businesses. They were valued as true recurring revenue software businesses. And like the multiples that were put on those businesses were totally unsustainable for what the business model truly was. And so I think you're seeing sort of a shift back to reality on that. People are really looking at, okay, are you selling a recurring software product to financial institutions? So your fintech business is that realm, but it's truly more like a SaaS type product and that will still get SaaS type multiples. Or are you a purely transactional business model? And we probably put a different multiple on that business, which results in a very different valuation from that standpoint. Or are you really just more like a bank and you're a digital version of lending out money. You're bringing in unique data to lend the money. You're doing unique things from a customer acquisition standpoint. But at the end of the day, you're really just a lender if we really want to you know, get to the nuts and bolts of it. And that warrants a very different valuation. And so I think you're seeing investors think much more critically about the really like the type of business model that a fintech is taking on and what that means from a valuation standpoint. And then also that changes just appetite that investors have for investing in those types of businesses, right? In today's environment where interest rates are rising, it's tough to be a lending business where you don't have consumer deposits 
to fuel your loans. So you need to find outsourced sources of capital. That cost of capital is really high. So those businesses historically got a ton of funding in 2021, much less so right now. The things that we see are businesses that we think have really sustainable um, advantages in this environment and will continue to raise in this environment, goes back to one of the areas we're looking to, is in that compliance landscape. And the reason for that is compliance is a must-have. Like You can't skimp on compliance. You either have the tools to be compliant or you don't. If you're not compliant, you get fined meaningfully or your business gets shut down by regulators. And two, we have this belief that historically financial services businesses thought of compliance as a cost center where they just had to do things to appease regulators and then everything else they were trying to do front end was to bring in revenue, customers, et cetera. We think that they're going to look at compliance as a potential mode of differentiation. And they can show not only regulators, but also their customers, especially if they're working in a B2B manner, that they've achieved a certain level of compliance, minimized fraud, and that will actually attract more and more customers to their business um, than before. How do you think fintech is transforming the financial industry and what are some of the potential benefits and drawbacks of this transformation? Yeah, so I think you've already seen fintech dramatically change the financial services industry over the past decade where you now have the ability to open up bank accounts, access financial products from your phone, from your laptop. And yeah, that existed before, but it's become really, really seamless to be able to do that in a digital first manner. So I think that's sort of been the big move in fintech over the past 10 years is making financial services digital first. I think the piece that comes after that is what we're still trying to figure out is like, okay, when everything moves online and everything is digital, how does that change a bunch of different components of financial services? How does that change how you think about lending? Do you lend in a different manner? Can you pull different data sources on an individual that are more about their online persona and presence that can help indicate whether or not they're a good customer or not, what they're likely to pay back is? How do you think about fraud in that environment when people can use synthetic identities and mess with uh, like you know individuals and stuff like that online? How do you think about just better onboarding of customers when it's all digital? And how do you balance friction to ensure that someone is who they say they are versus putting too much friction that good people don't actually get into your business and you don't generate revenue from them. And so there are a lot of different components that I think we're still figuring out. Um, but the fact that now money has moved online and financial services has become digital first, I think was the first key piece. And we're still trying to understand the ramifications of all of that. Can you tell us about a fintech company that Jump Capital has invested in and what made you decide to particularly invest in that specific company? Yeah, so definitely a handful of companies that we've invested in in the fintech realm that we're super excited about. I'll focus on just one at the moment and we can dive into others if, if needed. Um, so we led a Series A in a company called Highline uh, middle of last year. So they are an infrastructure provider that helps lenders pull payments directly from payroll and helps borrowers determine how they want to move money directly from payroll. So like, I'll give a conceptual example on both sides, because I think it has benefits to both lenders and to borrowers. From a lender standpoint, let's say you want to loan money out to a potential consumer. That consumer either fits the risk profile that you're willing to take, and so you're willing to offer them a loan product, regardless of whether you're pulling money from their payroll, from their checking account, wherever it might be. What you're able to do for this borrower is say, hey, if you let me pull your money from payroll, 
So I'm top of stack from a repayment standpoint. I will give you a rate break. And so your interest payments are meaningfully lower than if I pulled from your checking account. The lender wants to do this because they're guaranteed payment from coming from payroll and they're top of stack instead of pulling from a checking account. And the individual has to consent to this and they'll do that if they believe they're willing to take the, you know, they're willing to give the lender top of stack access for that rate break. Another situation arises when lenders, especially in an environment where they're struggling to increase revenue and struggling to find customers to lend to, they're looking for new consumers. Maybe they're uncomfortable lending to consumers in a certain profile because they're pulling from their checking account. But if they were able to pull from their payroll top of stack, they're actually willing to lend to this new audience. And so it should open up access to credit for individuals who are willing to let lenders pull money from that place and should expand sort of the credit ecosystem. So that's the lender side of things. The borrower side of things is the rate break, access to additional credit, but also the ability to manage payments through your payroll account. Historically, you can't really do that, right? You get paid, goes to your checking account, and then you manage like all of your bills. If you wanted to manage your bills from payroll so that everything got pushed out appropriately and then whatever was left flowed to your checking account, and then you could all use that purely for discretionary spend, you now will have that ability. So Highland is the infrastructure and piping to be able to enable that for both lenders and borrowers. That's very interesting. That's really interesting. Uh, I haven't heard about it, so I'll actually check out their website and look into it. And um, can yeah. you talk about like a successful fintech company that Jump Capital has exited? And what was the exit process looking like? Yeah, so one that we exited, um, I'll give you as much color as I can because I wasn't as involved in this one. This uh, Our investment predated me joining the firm, um, but we were investors in personal capital. So personal capital is, uh, as I'm sure a lot of people have heard, uh, a place where you can go link up a bunch of your various accounts That's and me. see. Yeah. I there use you go. <laughs> uh, a lot of users of it, right? Help aggregate all of your finances in one place, see a true profile of your net worth, your investments, right? It's just a great tool from an aggregation standpoint. And so we were early investors in that business and they exited um, a year or two ago to Empower. So that was one that was fairly successful for us. I wish I could give you more detail on what that exit process was like, but I wasn't as involved in that. That's so awesome. And it's funny. I like I like speaking to people that were a part of the process or had colleagues that were a part of the process of a company that I personally use. So that's really cool. And yeah, I want to close out this podcast by asking this one question that many people always might have in the back of their head, even sometimes I do. But what advice would you give to someone who is interested in pursuing a career in venture capital and especially in the fintech space? Yeah, I think venture is a really tough industry to break into for a lot of reasons. One, just a lot of people want to be in it and there's a finite number of jobs. Two, there's no clear template on like what you need to do career path wise to break in. Right. If you wanted to break into private equity, it's a little bit clearer of like a path, right? You go work in banking, you go work in, you know, transactions. And then you sort of flow into that. I think there in venture, there are a couple of things that set candidates apart when we look at bringing people onto our team or I see it for, for other teams. Um, and one is very meaningful, like proactiveness. When you are talking to other venture investors or interviewing for jobs in the ecosystem, go out of your way to source businesses and show those venture investors, like companies that you're looking at that you think are interesting, that fit their like domain of expertise and where they want to invest. If you are showing them stuff that they're already looking at or showing them stuff they haven't looked at, 
they then think of you as someone who's immediately adding value to their team and is bringing on new unique deal flow that they aren't themselves. And that's a huge step in the right direction and really what they're looking for. Um, another piece is demonstrating sort of the strength of your network. It's obviously tough to do, but venture firms are always looking for, okay, who are you connected to and who can you get us access to that we couldn't today? That doesn't just have to be startups and founders. It can also be strategics. So like one piece that I frankly am still working to improve on is building out our network of strategics in the fintech realm. Why is that important? One, those strategics could be potential buyers of the startups we invest in down the road. So you want to know those parties really well, get a sense of what they're looking for, where their product gaps are. Two, they could be potential customers of the fintechs that we're investing in. And so we have a lot of conversations with people in market before we invest in a business on if there's actual customer appetite to buy the solution. And so, yes, you talk to a startup's existing customers, but we love talking to prospective customers because if we get a bunch of prospective customers that we can intro the startup to that come back and tell us, hey, we actually love this. We're going to buy this solution. That's a huge check for us in the right direction of leaning forward and actually investing. So proactiveness on introducing venture firms to potential startups and founders, and then two, just showing strength of your network um, in any way, shape or form, I think goes a long way. I want to throw you a curveball question. Um, you did talk a lot about strategics. How do you go about reaching out to them? Yeah, so uh, look, it's it's challenging. I, I think what I have seen some success with is diving deep into a strategics sort of profile and trying to understand like where their pain points might be. Some of this is a little bit of educated guesswork because unless you talk to them, you might know, not know the specifics and ins and outs of it. But if you're able to show them startups that address like gaps that they might have, they're pretty open to conversations. A lot of these strategics who maybe on the surface might not appear to be the most tech forward, like they are spending a lot of time evaluating new age software solutions and thinking about how to modernize their business from a tech stack perspective. And so find the right people in those orgs. Sometimes there are people in innovation departments. Sometimes if you know like fraud is a big issue in financial services, the fraud departments are usually pretty open to talking about like how they're always looking to improve that side of the, the house. There are a lot of different ways. Unfortunately, no clear cut answer though. Well, thank you for all your insights. I hope the audience was able to learn a lot more about what's really going on in the FinTech environment, the FinTech space and what it looks like to be an investor around that arena. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks Jason for having me, really enjoyed it.